Hey everybody, welcome back to the Jonah Saller Show. This is episode 6. I am the host, Jonah Saller, and I'm glad you're here. Um, in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about our new nature, our new identity, our new DNA transplant through Jesus Christ. Um, this to me is a fundamental truth that has really shaped my grounding and helped me to become a stronger individual. Um, because when you view yourself in this new way that I'm going to be explaining as the Bible shows us, it changes everything. It changes how you act. It changes how you think. It changes the very essence of who you are and who you are is very dependent on this. So to get started, I'm going to go over one of the popular things that most people think when, when it comes to who they are. Uh, and I'm specifically, in this podcast, I'm specifically talking to Christians. But if you're a non-Christian listening to this, I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope it maybe brings some clarity to maybe some misunderstandings you've had about Christianity. Um, and yeah, I hope it just helps you to um, get a better grasp on what we're actually about here. And for those of you who are Christians, I hope it offers you some freedom from um, a life of struggle that I think a lot of Christians are caught in without even realizing it. So I want to open by saying, I think popular Christian teaching these days, um, I've seen it myself and I've seen it in a lot of different cases. They teach us that even though we are forgiven, even though we have Christ, we have what's called a sin nature and we have what's called um, a sin problem. And what I will say to that is that there needs to be a massive distinction between nature and problem okay we have a sin problem it's called the flesh but we do not have a sin nature and I've been learning about this in Romans chapter 6 in Romans chapter 6 it talks all about how we are dead to sin and I think a lot of times we look over the word dead and we think okay yeah dead means we're forgiven but it doesn't mean that our sin nature has been killed and I think we really need to understand that when it says dead it's actually meaning dead so let's read Romans 6 together if you have a Bible crack it open if not you can just listen but starting in verse 1 it says what shall we say then are we to to well let me start over what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I just want to pause on that first part because I think most people read this as Paul basically saying, you better not sin because you have, you're, you're in grace and grace doesn't give you a license to just keep on sinning. You better not keep sinning. But what he's actually saying is because we have grace that can never end, why would we who are actually dead to sin still live in it? It's impossible to live to something that you're dead to. Do you see the difference? If you look at it as Paul trying to tell you to stop sinning, don't sin anymore because you're taking advantage of grace, you're looking at it wrong. You've got to realize that he's saying don't continue to sin because you're actually dead to it. It's an empowerment. So let's continue. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might, too, walk in newness of life. I think that is so awesome. I think, I think we, we forget what, what actually happened to Christ. What, why, why is it that our sins are forgiven? It's because his blood was shed and he died. He died. He actually physically died. And we know the end of the story is he didn't stay dead, but he was resurrected. And we go through that exact process too. Before we receive salvation, we are dead. We are completely and utterly dead. We are completely fleshly. But after we receive salvation, we go through the same process Jesus went through. We are crucified with him. We die. We die. Ourselves die. And when it says that we are born again in newness of life, it literally means that we have been implanted with a brand new nature. It's not some sort of Jesus is looking at us in a certain way where he forgets about our sins. It's literally our sin nature, our nature that was dead, is now brought to life and completely changed. Continuing in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's literally saying, listen, if we've been united with him dying to the flesh, dying to sin, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection to a brand new person. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Just meditate on that for a second. We know that our old self, talking about our sin nature, was crucified. What does crucified mean? Crucified means killed. That means dead. <laughs> I think we sometimes forget the permanent of that, that word, crucified. And with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Brought to nothing. I love that. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that with we will also that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I think that verse really culminates this entire passage. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This has been the biggest thing that I've been learning that has been shaping my grounding is realizing that I am dead to sin and alive to God. There's no in-between. It doesn't say, you know, you're, you're kind of dead to sin and you're kind of alive to God, but it's, it's a process, man. You're going to have to just keep working at it. And eventually you'll get there. Hopefully each day you're getting a little bit better. No, it's saying you are dead to sin and alive to God. So you were dead, completely separate, and now you're alive, completely close and completely forgiven. If you go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says... In, in uh, chapter 6, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And to me, that's just 
so incredible and something that's so contrary to most teaching. Most teaching these days is telling us about how we can get closer to God, how we can keep fighting against our our sin nature and trying our best to get closer and closer and closer to God. Listen, if you died to sin, you are alive to God and his spirit is one with you. You can't get any closer than that. The Bible makes it clear that you cannot get any closer than that. That is as close as you can possibly get. And guess what? It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you can do, what you've done. It has everything to do with what Christ has already accomplished. It's a trust and a faith in him. And I think that that is amazing. So if you move on, to verse 15 in Romans chapter 6 it says what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves to the one you whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Listen to that. It doesn't say, but thanks be to God that you who are still struggling with sin are working hard at trying to become obedient from the heart and trying to come to the standard of teaching in which you were committed. And since you're trying to be set free from sin, you're on your way to becoming a slave of righteousness. No, it's talking in past tense. It's talking about something that you are, that you currently are. I think it's just awesome. I mean, thanks be to God that we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. It's not something that we're trying to do. We're not trying to be obedient. We have become obedient from the heart because of the Spirit. And this is really where I want to go with this because this to me is the biggest thing missing in the Christian church today. We look at the Bible and we want Jesus for his saving power, but we do not believe that his Spirit that enters us, that's, that the Bible says becomes one with us, we do not believe that that actually has the power to change us. We think that that's on us. We say, okay, I've got salvation, I've been saved, but now i got to start acting like a Christian. I better start reading my Bible. I better stop sinning. I better be going to church. I better be doing this. I better be doing that. And the list goes on and on. And all you end up doing is focusing on yourself and not focusing on Christ and when you focus on yourself and you focus on, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, what ends up happening is it becomes a chore, it becomes a burden, and it becomes a measuring stick of how close you are to God. Listen, Jesus said it is finished and he meant it. So why are we walking around trying to do, trying to be when Jesus has already done and he's already made us holy, perfect, and a slave of righteousness. If you actually understand that not only does Christ have the power to save you, but he also has the power to implant his spirit in you. And that spirit will transform you and will change you. If you truly believe that, that is all it takes. So this idea that you can talk too much about grace and that's all of a sudden going to give people a license to sin is just false. There's no such thing as too much grace. That's literally like saying there's too much Jesus. There can't be. 
We are completely under grace and we are not under law. So we can't be trying to grab a little bit of law and mixing it with a little bit of grace. It's either grace or it's law, but there's no in between. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. It's as simple as that. And to become a slave of righteousness, it's not a process. It's not something you're working towards daily. It's something that Christ does to you the moment that you receive salvation. The Bible teaches that very, very clearly, that we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and being set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. In verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and, be, and have become, have, past tense, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to that. That is so profound. Sin equals death and we are no longer dead. We have made, been made alive through the crucifixion of our old selves and the rebirthing of a new self, which is alive to God. So the next thing I just want to talk about briefly is the fact that we're released from the law, because I think a lot of Christians still like to cling on to little bits and pieces of the law. They'll say, okay, we may not need to keep all the Old Testament law, but maybe we should keep at least some of the moral laws, or, well, we shouldn't keep the moral laws from the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we should at least keep Jesus' laws that he talks about on the Sermon of the Mount. we got to at least try to do that. Listen, have you ever realized how extreme Jesus' teaching is on the Sermon of the Mount? I've been studying this a lot. Uh, let me pull up Matthew chapter 5 real fast. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is talking. I think it's important to also acknowledge who he's talking to. He's talking to a group of Jewish people. And one of the things that I've been realizing, one of the teachers I've been listening to a lot lately that's been helping me a lot in terms of understanding the Bible is a guy named Andrew Farley. I would really highly recommend checking out his teaching uh, because he teaches things in a way that really makes the Bible come together and become unified from start to finish. And I think a lot of theology today is not unified. The Bible, parts of it don't make sense. And some of it just contradicts itself if you're looking at it incorrectly. But if you look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, first of all, I just want to say, the law is not evil. The law is not bad. The law is perfect. So perfect, in fact, that our response to it should not be, okay, I think I can do that. I'll give it my best shot. James chapter 2 tells us that if we keep the whole law but fail in one part of it, we will be cursed by the whole thing. So we shouldn't be approaching the law thinking that we can measure up. What we should be doing is understanding that the law is a perfect holy standard. But it's something that we could never do. And that's why we need Christ. So Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until 
all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, listen to this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to say the, the, that, that, that the uh, Ten Commandments say you shall not murder, but I say if you're even angry with somebody, you'll be liable for judgment. You shall not commit adultery, but I say that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with your, her in your heart. Pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. Chop off your limbs if it, if it causes you to sin. That's better than that than have your whole body be thrown into the depths of hell. Listen to this. And then the crux of it at the very end, he says in verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I want to ask you, do you think Jesus is really telling these people, this is exactly what you have to do? Come on, let's see you do it, thinking that they can actually do it? I really don't think so. I think telling them that you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect what Jesus is doing is he's talking to the Jewish people who are under the law. Remember, the new covenant did not start when Jesus was born. It started when Jesus died, right? That's when the new covenant entered. So Jesus is talking to people who are under the law. And what he's trying to do them is bury them in the hopelessness that they could ever keep the law perfectly. I want you to hear that again. Jesus is burying them in the hopelessness of trying to keep the law. The law is perfect. The law is holy, but it's simply something that we as humans could never live up to. And Jesus is trying to make that very, very clear. And by him telling them that he is here to fulfill the law, he is telling them, I am the savior. I am the perfect representation of the law. And therefore, if any of you thinks that you can do the law. This is the true standard of the law. Go and do it. Be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. So with that being said, let's go to chapter 7 of Romans. It says, What shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So what Paul is trying to communicate is, listen, the law is perfect. The law is holy. But sin only exists because the law pointed it out to us. So, how, how, do we, how do we get away from this? How do we escape this, this curse that the law causes us to realize? The law is, is there as a diagnosis to say, listen, this is your problem. You're never going to keep me. 
our response should be to fall into the grace of Jesus Christ. 100%. It's grace and nothing else. Listen to this. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who, go, who does not work, he's telling you not to work, and the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans eleven six says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And finally, Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What Paul is trying to make very clear is that if we rely on a set of rules, if we rely on a do this, do that, we're missing out on the grace and the rest that we can find in Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the one thing that I'm trying to communicate in this podcast today is that I have grown so much stronger, so much stronger in my faith, so much stronger as a person by resting. When you focus on all the things that you think you have to do, you're taking away from the finished work of Jesus Christ. But when you focus on his finished work and what he's already done, his spirit becomes one with you and it will guide you and lead you on paths of righteousness. So to close, all I'm trying to tell you, all I'm trying to communicate is that true peace and true satisfaction in the Christian walk does not come from trying to live an upright life. It doesn't come from trying to be righteous trying to be a good Christian and go to church and read your Bible and pray. It, it comes from resting in what Jesus has already accomplished for you. And when you rest, when you truly rest and realize that there is nothing that you have to do, his spirit takes hold of you and transforms your life. And that is an amazing thing. When you focus on what you need to do, you're taking your eyes off of Christ. When you focus on Christ and what he's already done, that equips you to live in a way that is pleasing in his sight. He has already made you holy. He has already made you righteous. So now your job is to rest. I think we sometimes forget, too, that the new covenant, when it came along, it's not a covenant between God and us. It's a covenant between God and God. God made a covenant with himself through Jesus Christ, and it's a covenant that he started, that he sustains, and that we have been swept into by his grace and his love for us. And the only response that we should be saying is thank you. That's it. So if you found this encouraging, please share it with others. I really, I really hope that this message gets out there more because I, I see so many people bogged down by this attitude of, I've got to do more, I've got to be more, I've got to at least try. And if I'm a Christian, I better be doing this, I better be doing that. And I just want to communicate, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're as righteous, as holy as you could ever get. His spirit dwells within you. Allow the spirit to do the work and stop focusing on trying to do it yourself. You are alive in Christ. You are dead to sin. You are a new creation, obedient from the heart, not because of you, but because of Christ. 
focus on Christ, rest in Christ, and everything else falls into place. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep getting stronger.